you're listening to the Fearless Business Podcast. You're in the best place to learn about how to grow a business, get more clients, and make more money without fears and limitations, all while having fun in the process. Robin Waite is the founder of Fearless Business, a business accelerator helping coaches, consultants, and freelancers double their income and more. Now here's your host, Robin Waite. Welcome back, everybody. It's the next episode of the Fearless Business Podcast. I'm your host, Robin Waite, the Fearless Business Coach. I've got a gold standard guest on the show today. Uh, it's Jim McCarthy, co-founder of TEDx Broadway and also um, is co-founder of Gold Star Events and Stellar Tickets, which is something we're going to be learning a lot more about today. But welcome to the show, Jim. Thanks, Robin. Great to be here. So I'm going to dive straight into kind yeah. of the um, a major pivot or shift in your business that happened as a result of COVID. And that was taking what was um, an 18-year offline business online. So how did that happen? And like that talked to us about kind of the feeling that was going on in the business at the time as well. So to be clear, our business was online, but selling tickets for events that were in person, like regular old music and theater and comedy and stuff like that. Um, but a just real simple story that, that I think most people will instantly recognize and understand. We were in the business for 18 years of selling tickets online to live events, live, live entertainment events. And in, in March here in the U.S., I think it was maybe a couple weeks earlier in, in Europe, but here in, in mid-March in the U.S., business came to a complete halt. Completely, as I, as I said to, to my staff, like our industry ceased to exist you know, at over the course of about 36 hours, which I mean, you know, if I'd ever sort of look, looked back, projected forward into the future, I don't know that I would have imagined, that, you know, that it would be like, hey, whatever, you're, you're going to be in an industry and then it's going to not exist over a one to two day period. But that's what happened, as, as everybody knows. And um, to, to, to shorten a story that we'll talk about in more depth later, I'm sure, over the course of the next couple of months, we saw a, an opportunity to enable the creators of live entertainment and arts to do online events that are good, that you can charge people for, and that actually are creating, I think now, an industry or a medium that's gonna be just incredibly valuable and important to do everybody's lives um, for years and years, even when the in-person events come back. When the in-person events come back, it's actually gonna be even better because you'll take the, what's so great about in-person events, which will never go away, and stack this other thing on top of it in a way that's just gonna blow the roof off the joint, I think. Well, I, I totally agree. And it was really interesting actually seeing like people's different approaches and mindset, especially when it came to um, taking their businesses online, especially. Um, and in so much like it's never going to work. And straight away, it was like, we, it's, it's what you make of it. It's a, you know, we, we, we have no choice. We can't do in-person events anymore. So you're going to have to go online and you're going to have to learn to adapt. And, and the, the people who seem to have kind of succeeded through this are the ones who kind of just made the best of a really bad situation. Um, and so, you know, some in some of those, you could summarize those ways um, of how they adapted. So you talk about five powerful advantages of producing online entertainment events. So what are some of the things that um, the really successful people are doing in order to maximize their online events? Well, I think the first thing is that people are de designing content that's set 
for the medium, right? So the, the biggest mistake, and you, you probably remember this, I'm sure your audience will too. In you know March and April, let's say of, of this year, I almost said last year because it feels like forever ago, but it was really just this year. But in March or April of this year, in the immediate aftermath of all the shutdowns, people started doing what they were calling these online events or these virtual events, but really they were so thrown together. They were so casual. Um, it was, it was sort of nice, you know, to see Bruce Springsteen sitting on his sofa playing the guitar, but really after a point, all that stuff, we, I think we all just had had enough of it very quickly because it wasn't good. <laughs> you know what I mean? It just, it just wasn't good. Um, and so I think the first thing that, that the people who've succeeded have done is they have, and this happens with every new medium, they've sat down and said, what is this medium all about? What is this medium good at? What is it not good at? Let, we can't just duplicate or, or just, you know, um, clone what we did offline and just do it online. You can't really do that. You have to modify it. You have to look for the, the levers, right? You have to look for the strengths of the medium and, and create content that really is a dazzling experience for people in that new medium. I think that's the first thing that, that really is the first leap that people have to make. It was, um, it reminded me what you were saying there about, there's a guy called Joe Wicks. I don't know if you came across him, but he was a, he's a big, kind of fairly big celebrity here in the UK um, uh, in terms of like doing nutrition and exercise and things like that. And then um, he immediately started doing uh, these YouTube lives of him exercising in his front room and kind of day, you know, it's for the kids basically. So day one, you know, there's two and a half million people or something watching this YouTube live stream, which is great. Day two, there's, 1.8 million day three there's 1.2 million and kind of the novelty factor of it wore off very quickly like you said with bruce springsteen it's kind of nothing it's not the same as going and standing in a, in a gig with like 250 people around you sweaty and with your ears ringing like you can never get that across through online you can't so you have to design it to do what it can do well right you can you have to design the the experience to do something that maybe you don't get in the in-person event which a lot of people have done a lot of people have done a great job with that so could you give us some examples so what what um how have people kind of adapted yeah well i mean so I'll give you a great example that happened here here in Los Angeles uh, over the course of the summer there was a a show at uh, created by the Geffen Playhouse, which is a, a, a big theater here in Los Angeles. They created a show called The Present in cooperation with a, with a magician named Helder Guimaraes. And uh, this show was, was really fun because it was a, a close magic show that actually happened on Zoom. And when you bought a ticket, it was like $100 for this ticket, and you got it in the mail, you got a box, a sort of mysterious box that when the showtime came, you un, you opened it up and you played along with this magic. Wow. It was really fun. Yeah. And so, so this was so popular. They sold, I think they sold out 200 performances um, and they did their finale. It was really cool. They, they that was really successful and, and they, they could only get in so many people a night. So they decided to have a finale performance and they, they put it on stellar and almost 8,000 people came to the finale performance. They actually had more people in the finale than they did in the whole 200, you know, sold wow. out 200 show run. So all together, they just ended up reaching this massive audience. Um, and, and everybody had a really great time in a way that if you think about it, if you were sitting in a theater, right, with, with three or 400 people, you would have nowhere near as much of a personal experience as you did in, in this format. So th I think that was one of the first true COVID era smash hits, but there's more, you know, there's more coming. They're doing more great shows and people have adapted the model in a whole bunch of different and interesting ways.
I'm just curious as well, like, because um, it's it's one thing transitioning from like one medium into another. So, uh, you know, o- 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 offline, you know, real real live events into into online events. But how did that impact? Because obviously you're, you're kind of in the business of, you know, marketing, selling tickets. So how did that impact that kind of bus- end of the business model? Well, just, I mean, brought it to a stop, really. I mean, the, the, the in-person events basically stopped. Uh, existing, uh, you know, as I, as I said, you know, um, and so, you know, that was a dramatic sort of slamming on of the brakes. Um, and, you know, of course we, we did go into the selling of online events almost immediately just on the gold star side. Um, but, but, you know, I, I, I think it, it's almost like, um, it's almost, if you remember when we were transitioning from primarily desktop computers to mobile, you know, 12, 13 years ago. Imagine if all of a sudden um, in the very early days of mobile, all the desktops disappeared, right? And all you had was mobile, you know, in these, in these very clunky early versions of it. It's kind of what happened, right? Like all of a sudden the, the in-person events disappeared and all we had was this nascent medium of online events um, going through an extremely awkward birthing period, you know what I mean? So that was fine, right? But but as time has gone on, those events have gotten better and better and, and platforms like Stellar have appeared to make the experience more and more fun. What I think as well, I think it's it's made, um, so that I love that analogy you've just used there. So when we all had to kind of, you know, if we had to jump onto rubbish sort of mobile devices, well, those mobile devices will have to get better very quickly. Otherwise people are going to get very angry very quickly. That's right. And I, I see that's the same for all the people who are on the other side of the screen, you know, running online and virtual events, like they have to adapt and get like improve and make, make them better, like super quick. So I think that evolution has been sped up dramatically. No doubt about it. I mean, there's there's this quote from uh, from uh, um, Lenin. You know, not 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 John Lennon, the Beatle, V.I. Lenin, the the Soviet, um, who said, you know, there are decades where nothing happens, and the, there are weeks when decades happen. And I think we're just living through one of those periods where we're living decades in in a in a time in a period of weeks or months. We're living decades in, in a period of weeks or months. What, what do you think um, the legacy is going to be out of this kind of this year that we've been through? You mean specifically in relation to this? Because we yeah. could probably fill an hour with, you know, the broad <laughs> picture of what the legacy. I think for the live entertainment business, there's no going back. I mean, people are seeing the leverage you can get with online events, you know, and I'm sure that, you know, with your audience of, of coaches and, and people who who have content to share and people to share it with, they've realized that, you know, of course, there's a lot of value to the in-person connection, but there's also a tremendous amount of value to being able to reach a worldwide niche, right? So, I mean, I just don't think it's, I think it's a one-way door. You know, we we go through this one-way door of understanding the power of these online tools, and there's not really going to be going any going back because the rewards are too good. And especially what I've seen is that once people get a taste of what's possible with these events, the any reticence or hesitation they might have had about, well, should I or shouldn't I, um, sort of goes away because the money is great, the reach is great, and the possibilities, the artistic possibilities and, and commercial possibilities are just too attractive to pass up. How um, how do you see sort of entrepreneurship kind of fits into this as well? Because I'm 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 guessing like you have to think a little bit more entrepreneurial, especially when you're having to adapt so quickly. So in, in, in the middle of a crisis, I think that an entrepreneurial mindset is really important right now because everyone has been forced into a moment of reinvention 
and and new value creation. And this is, of course, what entrepreneurs do. This is the the sort of uh, you know bread and butter of entrepreneurial um, thinking and entrepreneurial action. Right is identifying value creation and then having the lateral thinking skills to kind of move forward um, with a bias for action. Um, where it gets weird is for people who really don't have an entrepreneurial mindset, but they're forced to, to sort of come in, in, con, in contact with that situation. And um, that, that's where I sometimes these days see um, the hesitation or a little bit of denial. You know, people who I, I think, especially at the beginning, were, you know, we saw this in our industry where people would um, cancel their, their Wednesday, I'm sorry, cancel their March, April, May tour and then book it for July, August, and September. And I remember thinking, you're out of your mind. You know what I mean? Like, oh no, let's just roll all these dates three months. It's like, are, <laughs> you really think they're gonna, you know, it's a, what makes you think that these are gonna happen? So I think it's it's shaking off the, the, the um, terribleness that we were facing and going like, okay, that's that's what we got. You know, like, what are we gonna do about it? Yeah, it was, it's, um, I mean, I, I can kind of empathize a little bit with that kind of burying the head in the sand a little bit. Cause I, I remember, um, we went into lockdown on March the 20th, well, it was announced on the 23rd and we went into lockdown on the 24th of March. And I, I had several, this year was going to be the year that I was going to make it in terms of as a conference speaker, I had a dozen gig, like paid big right. conferences booked. And then of course, you know, just lived, like you said, 24 hours later that, you know, they've all been canceled basically. And, yeah. um, there was a part of me, which was like, yeah, kicked my feet a little bit and you know, stamped my feet like a little child and got angry. And, and then I was like, ah, this is just what's happening. We'll just have to work through it. I mean, one way or another, you did, we, <laughs> we didn't have a choice, right? <laughs> Whichever stomping we, we did, it wasn't going to change. It wasn't going to change it. Yeah, it is hard to go through. I'm not, I'm not suggesting for a second that, that that's easy. I just think that um, some people kind of persisted in it longer than they should. Um, you know, like, what I was asking myself when we were thinking about the decisions here is if, if, if we say, Oh, you know, our industry or, or your industry, you know, we'll be back in September or something. What would it take for that to be true? What would have to happen for that to be true? And I couldn't think of what even, you know, semi-realistic scenarios would make it possible, you know, for, for that to be the case. And I'm, I'm guessing as, as well, a lot of your kind of clients and, um, you know, event organizers and artists that you probably w have worked with over the years are all coming to you saying, what do we do about this? Yeah. And it's yeah. like, well, I don't know. <laughs> do, I, do we have the answers? <laughs> I mean, eventually our answer was, you know, you got to get busy doing what you can. And that is very much about, on, for now, on, about online events. And what I'm telling people, and I would say it to your audience too, is this is because you can't do many of the things that you normally do, right? Many of the in-person things that, that you normally do, it's a great opportunity, while that's not possible, to build the skills that you need to be able to do online events uh, or online whatever, you know, in the case of, of, of different industries. There's so much that can be done, but you got to actually go through that learning curve of getting good at it. So, there's never going to be a better time than this to uh, to, to spend time learning that 
uh, that, that it, it's a it's a different level of production isn't it you know it's, it was again it was um it was lockdown which forced me to get a better camera better lights and get yeah. better at kind of producing good quality sort of entertainment as such, or infotainment as such right. it must have been i'm gonna we'll kind of go f- full circle now i want to want to talk about kind of um you know how you got started with gold star events and actually what you know because there must have been also like you know this is the fearless business podcast there must have been a point where you thought oh shit like this isn't this is this is going south and i want to kind of dig into that but tell us about how did you get started with gold star events and um what was your what were you doing before that uh well i've i've been in most of my career uh before gold star i was in high growth businesses uh entrepreneurial businesses startups, mostly in the e-commerce space. So years ago, I worked at GeoCities, which many people, oh, wow. yeah, yeah. So, you know, the sort of the, you know, big social network of the 90s um, and um, spent a lot of time learning about e-commerce. You know, my, my role at GeoCities was interacting with our partners like Amazon uh, in a time when, you know, it was just really new. The field of e-commerce was really new. Um, and uh, among other among other things, so so I had a lot of knowledge. And my co-founders had a lot of knowledge about e-commerce when we started Gold Star in 2002. But when we were business planning for Gold Star was actually 2001, and uh, and 9/11 happened. You know, in the midst of, of course, our yeah. of our business planning, yeah. And this is one of these moments where you you learn a lot about about reality because, you know, if it's it, it, you know from this disaster back to that one, you know, um, you, you might remember that people thought, well, you know, nobody's going to go out anymore. <laughs> Do you remember this? Yeah, yeah. People were yeah. like, well, you know, who, who's going to be crazy enough to go gather in a big group after, after all this, you know, and the story that, that always just resonates that I feel like it really explains a lot about the in-person business, whether you're talking about entertainment or coaching or whatever, is that, you know, after sort of staring at the TV like an idiot for the 11th, September 11th and 12th, I remembered like on the afternoon of September 12th that I had these tickets for the Hollywood Bowl uh, the next night, September 13th, 2001. And it was uh, Wynn Marsalis and I can't remember who who all. And my, my thought was like, well, if they don't cancel this, I'm going. I'm definitely, definitely going you know, and, uh, and they didn't cancel it. And, and, uh, I went to the Hollywood bowl, which is a beautiful venue, as you know, is wonderful weather. September in Los Angeles is as perfect as it can get. And, um, packed every seat full, um, you know, people singing the national anthem at full voice and, you know, sharing their wine, sharing their food, and just like loving being there, just loving being together in that space. And, hearing the music and, and being in the weather and all that. And it made me realize that, um, that not only was that, not only was 9-11 not going to stop people from getting together, but people would need it, you know, would need it more. Um, and so, I mean, that was kind of one of the birth birthing moments of, of gold star was the realization that people, it's not just, you don't just go, you know, to see a show cause it's fun. You go because there's something else. There's another layer. There's another thing. Basic yeah. instinct. Yeah. It's a basic instinct that nourishes you in ways that you that you don't even expect, right? And, and you know, as, as time has gone on, I think it's become even more important as our lives have been, uh, you know, more and more poured into a screen, right? Um, 
the basic connection to reality that uh, a, a live event, whether it's an entertainment event or a coaching event or whatever, the, the reality connection that those things represent is just profoundly valuable, which is why there's not been, you know, th this has been the best 20 year period in the live entertainment business's history, um, despite, you know, the advances in technology. So you, so, launched, in, you launched in 2002. And um, yeah. so what did the early years look like then? Very, very qu quiet. We, we launched uh, an extremely bootstrap. I mean, it's quiet from the outside. From the inside, the growth rate was just like that because we were tapping into a formula that said, there's all these events that want people to come to them and there's all these people who want to go out, but somehow there's this gap where those two things aren't being closed. And we, we knew that we could use, you know, the new emerging technologies of, you know, email targeting and just all the stuff that the, the web and personalization enabled to bring people together, right? Like we could say, oh, you, you are interested in, uh, in, you know, jazz. Well, cool. We got this jazz event that you might not have known about. Um, and, and so the growth rate was fast, but it was really small. You know, we, I like to say we started the company with a thousand dollars in the bank, and um, eventually sort of added more, <laughs> added more cash to that, and and uh, and grew a bit at a time. But it was really, um, you know, going back to your to your question, I think earlier, it, the the goal of the business was like, can we make a living for ourselves? You know, from from doing this, and and after a time, you know, we we were able to. I, th I think that's one of the major keys to success, though, in a, when, in a, when you're starting out a new business, doesn't matter what type of business is actually, you know, you can have these ridiculous kind of goals to have multi-million dollar turnover businesses, but actually yeah. sometimes being realistic actually sets you up for success better because it, it starts to break down those goals into more, you know, achievable steps, you know, just to get to a point whereby you're funded and you can pay your bills. Well, that's yeah. nice and easy. I mean, you know, this is something that I tell entrepreneurs all the time, which is that if something that you create pays your, that you create and control pays your bills, it's a kind of liberation that's hard to beat. Yeah. Right? You've, you've liberated yourself from something that 99% of people will never be able to liberate themselves from. Uh, and the power of that is, I mean, it's really, it's really, extreme. I always say to people like, you know, build, build your own dream. Don't build somebody else's dream, build your own, you know, ultimately yeah. when you're in a job, you're, you're busy building somebody else's business and their dream. Um, and sometimes, you know, yeah, it might be a slightly harder journey to start up your own business yeah. and get it off the ground, but ultimately it's going to give you the more freedom in the long term. And it takes time. I mean, I think people have to be, be, be in for two years or, you know, maybe even a little more of some gut-wrenching days, which is where your fearless, fearless concept comes in, right? Um, Absolutely. And, and I don't know if you can be fearless, but you can be courageous in the face of fear, right? You can, you can say, I'm scared, but I'm going to do it anyway. And I think that's what you mean. Surely that's what you mean by, by fearless, right? It's like, I'm going to move forward, you know, regardless. That's it. It's, it's, it's always about kind of fearing those things in business ever so slightly less that stop you from moving forward. So that, that moment, like, you know, something simple, like walking into a room full of people at a networking meeting, some people hate that. And it's just like, well, actually, if you want to grow your business, this is just something you're going to have to do. You yeah. know, the same as like, you know, pivoting a business to go online, you know, this is just something you've got to do now. Otherwise you might, you, you could end up just getting, you know, being dead and buried in six months time because you haven't adapted when everybody else has. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. And in, right. in terms of kind of, um, so what does the middle bit look like in terms of Gold Star then? And, um, you know, when when now we're earning a bit more money than our, um, you know, just just being able to survive, when did you kind of think, right. oh, gosh, this is really working now? 
Oh, I, pr- I think probably three or four years in, I was like, okay, we've got, we've got a business. We can really start putting more people to work, you know, in the business. And, um, you know, but I mean, the business is around long enough that we went through multiple sort of major phases. Um, you know, whether you're talking about, we mentioned this earlier, but the transition to mobile, that was one where we, we had a moment of, okay, you know, it's still, it's still not a survival requirement, but it's going to be. And we need time to get good at this. We, you know, we, we need time to, um, to learn how to be great at mobile, just like we are on desktop. So we, we better damn well start now because, you know, it's, it's not going to take, it's not going to take three months. It might take a year or two to get really good at this. And so there was that moment of saying like, that's it. We're, we're committed to being uh, mobile first. Um, and we did, you know, and it, and it did take a year or two to really get to the point where it's like, okay, yeah, this mobile experience is, is good or better than anything on the desktop. But the, and, and the, those are the kinds of moments that that's more of like a slow motion, um, emergency, like the ones we're talking about now. Right. But it was in this, in a way, it's the same thing. It's a sort of, um, you have the opportunity if you want to, to deny reality. You know, you have the opportunity if you want to, to say, especially in that situation, you can go like, well, you know, the majority of our users are still on the desktop, blah, blah, blah. It's not important. And every day, just like the coastline recedes just a little bit, if you will, on that. Right. But eventually you're 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 underwater. Um, But it's the same kind of thinking of saying, like, look, I can see what's coming. I can see what what reality, you know, has in store for us. And we got to be different in order to to adapt to that, which I think, you know, like 18 years in the in the live entertainment business, a lot of things have come and gone. I think one of the things about Gold Star that's kept it highly relevant and and successful is, you know, we've always been saying, like, what's it going to take to be relevant in three or four years or five years? That, and being in the industry for that long, also kind of that feed your gut instinct, doesn't it? To be able to kind of, you know, better, have a better, I know you can't predict the future, but you have to certainly have a better intuition about which direction to take. For sure. For sure. And you, you've obviously grew it again through the the economic downturn in 2008 as well. You know, um, that affected everybody. I, I would say probably not so much now, but I'm guessing having dealt with 9-11, which could have derailed your plans for starting up the business in the first place, having got through that economic downturn sort of just you know what's six years into your business do you think that prepared you better for what happened in march this year yeah i I think so i mean i think i think um well i I guess i probably assumed that we we probably had the the worst thrown at us already uh by by this point but turned out that wasn't the case no doubt about it i mean i think um you know um the the cycles that you go through, just the the historical events that you go through, uh, definitely prepare you for the reality that you know there's disruption. You know what I mean? Like there's all there's all kinds of disruption. This was a, a doozy, that's for sure. Um, but um, but you know, it wasn't a surprise qualitatively. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was just so big, right? Like uh, as a, as a disruption. But yeah, absolutely. And I think you know that that's something I don't know if you can learn that. Because I could tell people all day, like, hey, you know, there will be rogue waves that can, you know, sink the ship. Um, Don't assume just because you're, you know, having smooth sailing right now that that rogue wave isn't like on its way. Look for it, right? Like scan the environment for it. So I I could say that all day. you, You know, you could tell people that. And I think some people go like, oh, yeah, I really need to think about that. Other people just can't 
internalize that until they experience it. So, you know, we've, we've gotten the chance to experience those in the past. Absolutely. I, I like your, um, so I'm a keen surfer, so I like your analogy there about looking out for the rogue wave. But I also, I think there's kind of momentum as well, you know, in in surfing, it's like you've got to wait for the kind of the perfect wave to come in. That's going to, you're going to paddle fast and pick it up and it's going to be, you know, work out whether it's a right or a left. But if you miss that one, the only option you've got is to wait for the next wave. And I think a lot of people were trying to, it's almost like lockdown hit and then lockdown plus day one, they, they were then trying to force momentum, force that wave to come and take them into the next. And it's just like the businesses, I think, who did the best kind of sat back a little bit and just looked around, just like you said, they just watched, see what was going on in the environment around them, saw what everybody else was doing, and then came to the game with a, a measured sort of plan. Yeah, it took us two months to make the decision to build Stellar. Um, you know, the first, the first few weeks we were just absorbing the blow, right? Like just, you know, there were so many ways in which we just had to adjust and get through the day, you know? Um, and then we did a pretty intense strategic planning process doing exactly what you're talking about. Like what's, you know, what's around us? What are the, what are the threats? What are the opportunities? So it took us a solid two months to make the decision to start that project. And, and um, like, I, I'm interested to know, like, there was probably that moment in sort of during that two months where did you kind of as a, I guess you've got a board, have you have advisors sort of around you or your team where you got together and you kind of like, what now? Yes. Yeah. No, I, the, we had several layers of that um, decision and, you know, you, you've got a whole bunch of options and it was really important to start with the broadest set of options, you know, because, you know, one, one option would have been to sort of just um, so sort of put, put, you know, put the company on ice for for a period of time until the, the industry came back. And, you know, it became pretty obvious that if you do that, um, you basically lose all all the assets you have. You, use your, you lose your customer connections. You lose your partner connections. You lose your employee. You know, you know your talent is going to go, well, I can't, you know, I can't just sit around. Um, and so, but you, you know, you gotta, you gotta go with the, the stakeholders. You have to go through and say, here are the choices, you know, and, and here's what I think we ought to do of, of those choices, but th- let's talk it out. So there was a lot of support behind, yeah, we got to actually do something, you know, we have to, we have to move forward. And then there were like, Hey, there were, we, we explored in great depth. I think it was about nine potential pivots. If you want to think of them that way. And sort of how those we looked very carefully at the scenario where the lockdown was relatively short, where the lockdown was kind of somewhere in between, and where the lockdown was like till late 21, let's say. Um, and it looks like our kind of medium scenario is probably about what it's going to going to play out. But you know, when you match up your 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 potential actions against scenarios that you can't control. You can ask, like, okay, how would this course of action do in the positive, medium, and negative scenario? And do that for every course of action. And certain courses of action just show themselves to be extremely dicey, <laughs> right? Like, th- there were there were a lot of co- things we could do that only worked. And, and by the way, uh, you know, shutting down essentially would only have worked if the sh- if the uh, if the sh- if the shutdown was very short. That yeah. would have relied on an optimistic scenario playing out. Um, whereas other things worked very well, whether it was, 
short, medium, or long. They were, they were good, you know, robust strategic choices. And so that's how we arrived at the one that we arrived at. I was like, this works great in any of these scenarios. Awesome. So, and that's where Stella Tickets was born. Yeah. yeah that's, where Stella, that, that's where Stella was born. Yeah. And, and right. so talk, talk about Stella then. So how's the business model, if you don't mind me asking, kind of has it kind of, what are the, the key sort of characteristics between sort of Gold Star and, and Stella? What's the differences? Yeah. Well, so Stella is not a ticket selling marketplace. So Gold Star really is, um, and a lot of people in the US use Gold Star uh, especially normally to, to find out what they might do on Friday night or Saturday night in their city. So there's, thousands of events for sale normally on gold star and people go and say like, oh, uh, I'm a theater fan. I'm, I want to do something on Saturday night and there's things. And then we use email to, to, you know, advertise to people and that kind of thing. Um, and it's a marketplace that brings together the sellers and the buyers. Stellar is really a platform for live entertainment content creators, live entertainment and arts content creators to put on an online event. It has the ticketing, it has marketing tools, it has rights management, it has the streaming. It really, and it has a great sort of event going experience with high quality audio and video and chat and you know emo emoji reactions and all this kind of stuff. Um, and it's built for professionals to do big time shows that they charge real money for and, and become a strategic component of a live entertainment organization or an artist's uh, toolkit. So very, very different as a business model. Our customer on Stellar really is the um, the creator of the content, whereas the customer on Gold Star is the ticket buyer, and we work in partnership with the creator of the content to, to sell the tickets. And, and presumably as well, that's kind of infinitely scalable. So anybody, you know, it could be a business owner who wants to put on a small event themselves to ride up to a kind of you know mainstream performer. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it, it is a self serve platform. Um, you know, a lot of times people need some help getting their first event or two off the ground, but it is a platform that if you have a little bit of somebody like you with AV skills could, could absolutely run uh, a show from Stellar with no problem. Um, and if you need some help, obviously we're here to provide that and, uh, and even connect you with resources, uh, for people who can do production or all the different aspects of it. Cool. Well, I'm, I'm sold. Start and beckons. <laughs> <laughs> Workwithstellar.com. If you're if you're if you're seriously interested in doing an event, go to workwithstellar.com. You can find out more about it and contact us. And of course, we're we're happy to help. Awesome. Well, I've I've shared a, a link to that in the show notes as well. So we're obviously going live in the Facebook group, and we'll make sure we share that when the podcast goes out as well. So hopefully, we'll get get a few more people kind of hitting up the site. So it's stellartickets.com. Um, how else can people get hold of you, Jim? I'm on Twitter at Gold Star Jim. So that's easy. Um, easy to reach. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, you got a lot of, you know, I'm easy to reach on LinkedIn. Uh, Jim McCarthy's not exactly a, uh, an unusual name, but, um, if you search on Jim McCarthy in either Stellar or Gold Star, you know, you'll find me. Perfect. A uh, couple of questions just to kind of close out the interview, if that's okay, Jim. So for the first, you touched on something actually, and I'm, I'm, I missed it earlier on, but about kind of the, the future of online events. Um, interestingly, yeah. I'm speaking at a, um, I've just got to work out whether I'm allowed to talk about it or not. Yeah, I am. Uh, a Microsoft Excel conference, yeah, in, in the new year in February. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me, so it was originally going to be on a, a physical event, obviously, got moved online. We're doing virtual reality and augmented reality, which is mm. super cool, which I, I know nothing about. Mm. So that's quite exciting. But um, where do you see the kind of future of online events heading? I think that online events are going to just keep getting better. You know, um, what people may not know is that there have already been some online events with gigantic audiences. 
Um, you know, the, um, are you familiar with BTS, the K-pop? Oh band? yeah. 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 So they've done two online concerts. Um, the most recent one, I think they sold somewhat over a million tickets and grossed $44 million for a 90 minute show. Wow. Um, and they'd done one earlier that was actually seemed huge at the time, but it was only $22 million. Um, so, you know, and so, you know, the, the, the time and effort that's going into these events is, is really epic. And, and, and that's because you can reach a worldwide audience. I mean, normally when you, th this is one of the things that <clears throat> is so frustrating when you're marketing live entertainment is that you start out by eliminating 99% of the potential audience. Cause it's only got to be the people that are able to go to the, to the venue where the event happens. Right. So with online events, forget it. You don't have to, you know, you can start with a hundred percent of the potential audience. And uh, so I think, I think what we're going to see is that online events um, are kind of a little bit of a stopgap, you know, a little bit of a bandaid right now for the live entertainment world. Although I think a very good one there, if, if once people understand how valuable and powerful they are, they're going to go from being a stopgap to a supercharger for the live event business model, because no longer will it be, you know, you sort of get to 65% capacity and then, you know, and that's your break even. And then you, you know, you top out when you hit hundred percent capacity, there's no limit on capacity for an online event, unless you, unless you put one in there. And that means you can have a global audience with no limit on how much money you can make and how many people you can reach. Well, and, and the two can presumably work harmoniously together. I mean, you take something like, um, it's probably the same, uh, you know, pay-per-view TV for things like sports. Yeah. So we have soccer over here where, you know, um, plenty of Arsenal fans will be, will go to the stadium, but we can't all fit in the stadium. So um, for those who do want to go and watch Arsenal, of course, but, you know, you can pay your £15 subscription and watch it from home if you want to. Absolutely. Um, and, and I see the two things like working harmoniously together, especially with live gigs, comedy, and all sorts of different events. Yeah, I, I, you make a good point about pay-per-view. I mean, you know, so, some of the biggest events in the world are boxing pay-per-view events. And who watches boxing, right? Like, you know, boxing's like the ninth most popular sport in the United States. And yet, you know, some of the richest athletes are, are like uh, Canelo Alvarez, you know, who'll take home $200 million for one fight. What? It's because 6 million people bought that pay-per-view. It's really remarkable. Well, yeah. And even, even things like, you know, World Series of Poker and stuff like that, people pay to view what, you know, some of the big, big events like um, live, you know, big tournaments. So I, I think, I think there's a world where the both can kind of live very harmoniously together. Um, well, I, for sure. I think, I think enhancing each other. I mean, you know, sometimes I talk about what, what, what we're doing at Stellar is almost like democratizing the ability to do a pay-per-view because, you know, you don't need you know, a deal with Showtime or a bunch of satellite trucks, or, you know, you don't have to book 500 rooms at the MGM Grand. You can just use a tool like Stellar and create a pay-per-view uh, of your own with the content that you can create and, and cultivate an audience. So I, I think it's a real opportunity. You, you've, you've got me curious now. So talking of cultivating an audience, I know I did say that it was going to be two more questions, but you, you got me super <laughs> curious. So because so, cultivating an audience, so for take, for example, a lot of um, people maybe listening to Fearless Business who are kind of one man bands just starting out, finding an audience is like one of the hardest things for them. Yes. And actually I, I found over the last six months, when you show them that the world is now available to them, as an yep. audience, there's a, yep. a ton of opportunity there. So do you, do you also through Stella, do you help people kind of, like you said, cultivate those audiences and grow them? Yeah, we do. I mean, they, so one thing is Stella comes with access to the gold star audience, which is nice. I and mean, that's on the United States. Um, and so that's a help. 
but we also have marketing tools that allow you to um, create partnerships with anybody who's willing to promote your event and get paid for it. So if you have existing marketing relationships, we have a tool set for, to facilitate that. Um, And, and we have support for building on your existing um, followings and actually duplicating those followings through the kinds of tools that, you know, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram provide. We actually have a, a, a built-in um, capability to help you do that as well. Oh, wow. So, I mean, that's super yeah. powerful. Yeah. It, 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 and we didn't build that, that part of it. Obviously, we're just connecting to it. Yeah. The, the, the duplicate, the what do they call it? The the duplicate audiences or the, there's a word I'm, I'm not thinking of, but the... Um, I know what you mean. <laughs> lookalike audience. Lookalikes, that's, that's it. Yeah. yeah. Lookalikes, yeah. But, you know, sort of getting that initial ball rolling is, is, is you know, that's a challenge definitely for anybody. Yeah, cool. Um, listen, we're, we are at time. And I, um, so I've got my, my final question for you, Jim. So we're going to hop into the Fearless Business Time Machine and you get to, it's, it's like the DeLorean in Back to the Future, but better and less Iranians. And we get to go back in time to a, a, a whatever year you want, and you're going to have a word with Jim minus you know T minus X number of years. So when is it? And what would you say? Okay, what year am I going to go back to? I mean, I think we're all probably tempted to go back to sort of last year or something and say there's a pandemic. But um, I don't know what would you know what could have done about it really. I don't. Um, uh, let's see. I think if I if I could go back in time, um, there's probably a thousand things on the personal side that I would you know do differently from like you know yeah go ahead and ask that girl out in high school or whatever it was. But um, if I could go back in time to about 2005 when Gold Star was was small and new, I think I would say to myself. Um, you know, um, take some bigger risks. Really? Um, yeah. Yeah. Take some bigger risks because by then we knew the formula was working. You, you just always, I think, you know, there's that whole thing of like, is it working or do we need, you know, sort of more demonstration of it? I think if I, uh, if I went back to 2005, I would tell myself you've, you've got all the proof you need that the formula is there and you have to at least, you know, build in some, uh, you know, a, a few more 10 X opportunities for growth and, you know, put, put the pedal to the metal a little bit more. Would you be open to just very briefly sharing maybe one or two of those risks that you think, oh, maybe I've passed up on that and I could, I should have gone for it. Well, we didn't raise any money for, uh, for 13 years. Um, you know, so, so we, we, we bootstrapped the company and grew pretty fast um, for a long time, but I, I do think at some point we knew the formula worked and had we been able to just put more, had we put more money into it earlier, I, you know, the trajectory would have been different. So um, that's partly, you know, not wanting to blow it up, which is, I think, a good instinct for an entrepreneur to have. Like, you know, as, as Nassim Nicholas Taleb says, you know, survival is is job one, right, for, for, any, for any entity. Um, but I, on the other hand, it's like, oh, you know, I mean, like, you, you know, you want to put yourself in a position to have that, that, that big upside as well. So the, that the, I think... I don't think, I don't think you should beat yourself up about that. Cause I, well, I'm sure you don't, but, um, um, but, but at the end of the day, it's kind of like, imagine if you'd let some external circumstances, you know, an investor come in and start kind of moving the goalposts a little bit for you. Things wouldn't have played out in the way that they have played out. You wouldn't, you know, gold star wouldn't be the same as what it is today. Stella wouldn't be the same as what it is today. Um, and I, and I think it's, you know, at the end of the day, it's, and remind you of something you said earlier on the podcast, you've created something which actually you can be proud of because you built it yourself. Right. 
that's true. And that that's the justification for, for why we didn't do it. Um, you know, I think there's always a way, I think one of the things that I wish I, maybe this is another way of answering the question. Um, there are ways to, now I know, there are ways to um, create really favorable risk return uh, scenarios where, you know, you're taking a risk that's real, but the, but the upside, the reward is much bigger. And so if you can create those asymmetric sort of risk reward things, you, you can really, well, that's the thing to do, right? Like well, in most cases, when you work out the risk is like this much, the reward is the potential reward is like that yeah. much. And actually yeah. quite often it's an easier decision than we're making out. Listen, I know you've got to bounce. So um, Jim, it's been an absolute pleasure. I really appreciate your time coming onto the podcast this morning for you, this afternoon for us and our listeners. So um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Same here, Robin. Great talking to you.